Amen. God bless you guys. Welcome to Calvary Chapel. It is great to have you here. Uh, turn in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 7 as we continue our verse-by-verse study through the New Testament. Uh, by way of a quick update. And by the way, you know, we want to be praying for you. And I, if you're not aware of it, the pastors are up here after every service, uh, waiting, willing, ready to pray for you. But also you can pray with each other. Uh, do continue to pray for my dad. As most of you know, he had uh, a triple bypass a couple weeks ago. He started to do really well. And then the last few days, been going through a tough time, mainly having to do with uh, a high platelet count. I'm not a doctor. I really don't understand it all completely, but I know that he's also got some infections and some things that he's fighting with and uh, still having a lot of pain and not getting a lot of sleep and uh, because of all the medication he's on, a lot of confusion and things like that. But you know, we know the great physician. Amen? And I praise God that uh, we have several people from right here in our fellowship that are ministering to my dad over there, and I, I praise God that they're there to do that, but also that the Lord has His hand and His eyes upon Him. But I would ask that you would continue to pray. I would really appreciate that. Okay, Hebrews chapter 7. Now, if, you're, if you haven't been here, if you're new to Calvary Chapel, I just want to tell you that we love you. We're glad you're here. We don't have church membership at Calvary Chapel. You show up. You love Jesus. You're a part of the family. You show up. You don't love Jesus yet. You can be a part of the family before you leave today. Amen? Amen. Give your life to the Lord and you can walk with Him and know Him. But just, we go verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, right through the Bible. And the book of Hebrews is a book written to Jewish believers in the first century church, many of whom were being tempted to go back to Judaism. There was a temptation to go back to the old way of life. They'd given their life to Jesus Christ, but in doing so, or at least outwardly looking like they had done so, they had walked away from that lifestyle they had lived and grown up with since they were children, most of them. So they've left the temple, they've left the high priest, they've left behind the sacrifices, they've left behind all the feasts, and now they're walking with Jesus. And in the midst of all of that, no doubt there were those who may have even mocked them. Where have you gone? What are you doing? Where do you feel? You mean a gymnasium? What's wrong with you, right? You know, what kind of church are you going to? Who's your high priest? Where's the, where's the temple that you meet in? And that's really what the book of Hebrews is written about. It's, as I've said many times, it's written by a Jew to the Jews to tell them to quit being Jews. Amen? To tell them it was time for them to put away Judaism and put on Jesus Christ. To quit going after rules and rituals, to not be drawn back into the old way of life, but to press onward and upward in the upward calling of Christ Jesus and to make Him the passion and priority of their lives. And so what we've seen so far is that this temptation was very strong. It was cultural. It was something that, again, they had grown up with. And this, this temptation was to leave the new covenant of Christ to return to the old covenant. To leave the long-awaited Messiah to return to the sacrifices that point to Him. To leave the fulfillment of the law and the sacrifices to return to the foreshadow. To leave the finished work of grace found in Christ to go back to man's futile attempt at achieving salvation through his own actions. This is still going on in the church today. We are adding, people are adding to the gospel. They're saying that Jesus Christ is not enough and they're adding works. Guys, Jesus plus nothing equals salvation. And when you add to the cross, you are denying what he said when he said it is finished. And here's this temptation to be drawn back. And the book of Hebrews is exhorting them and encouraging them in a very direct way. I believe written by the Apostle Paul. But ultimately it doesn't matter because the Holy Spirit wrote it. But the exhortation to them is not to get their eyes off of Jesus Christ. This entire letter is indeed an exhortation and a harsh warning for these Jews who are contemplating leaving Jesus to return to Judaism, leaving a real relationship for dead religion. Guys, today there's so many people running back to religion and I don't get it. I don't get it. Guys, there's nothing better than Jesus Christ. Amen? Where else are we going to go? Who else are we going to turn to? He, he has the words of eternal life. He is our hope. He is our joy. He is our peace. And so often, there's some new thing that comes along that we want to run and go chase after, or some old thing that someone tries to draw us back to. And if that's you, you can relate to these Jews in the first century who are being drawn back. And keep in mind, they're walking by, the temple is still there. 
They're still hearing the horns blown at the time of sacrifice. They're still seeing, you know, the, the priest in their garb. All those things are still happening, and there's this temptation to go back. You know, today, for most of us, there are probably not very many uh, practicing, former practicing Orthodox Jews in the room, but maybe you came out of a real religious system that was very legalistic and now the grace of God has gotten a hold of your life and you're giving your life to him but sometimes the enemy even will say well it can't be that simple there's got to be more to it than that you can't just give your life to Jesus I mean certainly there's got to be other things you must do to earn his favor and again that's exactly the environment this was written to so if you've been coming you know that the theme of Hebrews is three words. Jesus is better. Jesus is better. In the first few chapters, we saw that Jesus is better than the prophets. The prophets were good. God used them in a mighty way. Jesus better because the prophets were pointing to Jesus. The angels, angels good, messengers used by God. Jesus better. The angels were the ones that came and brought the message and God would use them to touch people's lives. But again, all that they were meant to do was point people to the Messiah. Then Moses. Moses, certainly used mightily by God. Certainly the law is something used in a great way by God. And we'll talk about that some more in this morning's chapter. But you know what? The law was a good thing because it was a taskmaster that leads us to the cross. The law reveals our sin and our need for our Savior, but the law cannot save you. The law is not your source of salvation. And good works is not the source of your salvation, though it can be fruit of it. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than the law. When we got to chapter 4, we saw enter into his rest. As Christians, we should not be striving. As Christians, we should enter into the fullness of joy that we can have in an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. We should be walking in rest. We should have that peace that surpasses all understanding and have it even now. And now we'll continue on and we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus is better than the priests of the day. We saw it in chapter 5. We're going to see it even more in chapter 7, 8, 9, and 10. As we're going to continue to look that Jesus is better because he is our great high priest. Now the priests were used mightily by God. They were men appointed by God in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant. They were all put into position for a reason. And God used them to bring the sacrifices and to stand before the people speaking on behalf of God and stand before God speaking on behalf of the people. But even those priests, we're going to see in this morning's text, had frailties and they themselves were sinners in need of a Savior. And even though they made the sacrifices, the sacrifices themselves could not save. The sacrifices simply pointed to the one who would come, who could indeed save us all. So Jesus is better. He is our refuge. He is our source of security. He is our hope. He is the reason that we live and, and move and breathe and have our being. And praise God that He loves us so much that He sent His Son to die in our place. Why would we look anywhere else? Why would we turn to any man when we can know God? Why would we turn to what men have to say? And this is the temptation then, and it's the temptation now. Now, we know that God wants to speak to us this morning because we've had nothing but technical snafus this morning all over the place, including, I usually have my notes up there, as you know, my outline, the whole thing just kind of went, just kind of blew up a few minutes ago. So God knew, and you know what? When Jesus was teaching, they didn't have notes, so get over it, amen? <laughs> we can still hear the Holy Spirit still teaching, right? So over the next two weeks... We're going to see that Jesus is better, our great high priest. And over the next two weeks in chapter 7, we're going to look at 12 reasons Jesus is better than the, than the Levitical or the Old Covenant priests. We're going to see 12 reasons in these 28 verses why Jesus is better. Now, the Old, Test, Old Covenant priest, good, Jesus better. Anything else, you can miss out on what is best pursuing that which is good. And the truth is, once Jesus came, the old covenant wasn't good anymore. Amen? Today there's this, this uh, desire to mix the old covenant with the new covenant. To mix you know, Judaism with Christianity to think that somehow makes it a better, quote, experience. Guys, 
There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, barbarian nor Scythian. We're all one in Christ. Amen? We're Christians now. And we follow Him and Him alone. We don't need priests anymore. We don't observe the feast. Now, you can observe the feast if you simply understand it and look for the symbols of Jesus Christ. I think that's fine. But if you think that the feast somehow is, is the source of drawing you closer to God, you've missed it. Because Jesus alone is the answer. So let's begin. And I'll go through these one at a time if you're a note taker. The 12 reasons Jesus is better than the Old Covenant or the Levitical priests. Number one, He is both king and priest. He is both king and priest. He's more than just the priest. He's both king and priest. Let's begin at verse 1 of Hebrews chapter 7. And we're going to start off by looking at a guy who's very mysterious to most people. But to be honest with you, he doesn't seem all that mysterious to me. Verse 1. For this Melchizedek. Now Melchizedek, if you're new to Bible study. Maybe you've never heard this name before. And you know what? The truth is, his name is only really mentioned twice in the Old Testament. And we'll look at both of those places briefly this morning, but his name is mentioned twice. But there's something very significant about Melchizedek. Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness. And the first place we see him mentioned is during a time when a group of kings had invaded the land of Canaan, the promised land. They took captive the people of the city of Sodom, including Abraham's nephew Lot. So Abraham mounted up his army and using his own servants, pursued these kings, beat them in battle, and then released all the captives. And at that point, Melchizedek shows up. Now you got to understand, Abraham, remember who he's speaking to when he's writing this letter, he's speaking to the Jews. So the Jewish people... Abraham is about as up there as you get. You got Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? They love Moses. But boy, Abraham, Father Abraham. And Abraham certainly is an example to them. And so they look at Abraham who is saved by faith. And here's the example given about Abraham back in Genesis 14. It says, And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought forth bread and wine, and he was the priest of the Most High God. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of the Most High God, possessor of heaven and earth, and blessed be the Most High God who has delivered the enemies into your hands, and he gave him tithes of all. So Melchizedek shows up, and as we're going to see in a moment, out of seemingly nowhere. And when he shows up, he brings with him bread and wine. Interestingly enough, on Communion Sunday. Amen? Melchizedek shows up with a very clear picture of what would become the Lord's Supper one day. And as he shows up, he brings bread and wine. As you and I, as we all know, the bread for us is a picture of the body of Christ broken for us. And the wine or the juice is a representation of his blood that was shed upon Calvary that washes away the sins of all mankind. And we will but come to him and confess our need for a savior. So he shows up with the bread and the wine. And he blesses Abraham and he receives tithes. Now, you got to understand something. Abraham was the guy. Abraham was the guy that people looked to as an example. And Melchizedek shows up and Abraham brings tithes unto him. And Melchizedek blesses Abraham. There's a thing in scripture where you see that the one who is greater blesses the one who is less. That means Melchizedek was greater than Abraham. You know, the parents pour out the blessings on their children. Not that they're greater in person, but they're greater in in position. So Melchizedek is in a greater position than Abraham. Remember, he's sharing these words with Jews who are contemplating going back to the old covenant. Going back to the old priestly system. And he's reminding them that Abraham gave tithes to Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was not of the line of Aaron. Couldn't be, because Aaron hadn't happened yet, right? He was not of the priestly line. There were no priests yet. Melchizedek shows up seemingly out of nowhere. I'm going to tell you who I think he is before we're done. And you can think different, but you'd be wrong. (laughs) But he shows up, and he has the bread and the wine. And as a priest, his job was to intercede between man and God, 
and between God and man. So what did he do? He blessed Abraham on God's part, and he blessed God on Abraham's part. He received the offering that came from Abraham, and he poured a blessing out upon Abraham, and so he was taking that role as a priest, because that's what a priest does. He's an intercessor between God and man. Now, it's, notice this too, as a side note, if, you, if it's your first time at Calvary Chapel, then you need to trust me that we don't talk about money around here, we don't even pass an offering. Why not? Because we want you to give because God puts it on your heart, not because a man twists your arm. Amen? You should give with a cheerful heart, and if you can't, do God a favor and don't. Amen? But notice this, people will say, well, I don't tithe because, you know what, we're no longer under the law. You're right, we're not under the law. He didn't come to do away with the law, but to fulfill it. But notice that Abraham tithed before the law existed. So, so much for that argument, amen? He tithed before, and what does tithing do? Tithing or giving, what does it do? It shows where my heart really is and that everything I have belongs to the Lord, amen? It's all His. What's amazing is God blesses us, and if we tithe, we keep 90% of His stuff and give Him 10. That doesn't seem right. We got to give Him 90 and keep 10, amen? But the point, oh, I got to find another church now. No. (laughs) If you've been here before, you know the truth. But here's the point we give to God of our first fruits, not just of our finances, but of our time, of, of our gifts, of everything we have. And so, Every, we recognize that what's been given to us has been given by God, and that's exactly what happens with Abraham. Melchizedek shows up. He recognizes the authority in Melchizedek, and he gives tithes unto this man who then gives blessings unto him. So who is this Melchizedek? Who's already recognizes his authority. Abraham does. Father Abraham, the one through whom God said he would bless all the nations. Again, the second Old Testament mention of him, along with the one I just quoted out of Genesis, is in Psalm 110, and it says this, The Lord hath sworn and will repent, thou art a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And he's speaking of the Messiah. He says of the Messiah, he is a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. So Melchizedek comes along before the Levitical or Old Testament priesthood, you know, the priesthood of Aaron even begins. He's already there and it says that priesthood will last forever. Where the priesthood of Aaron did not. It doesn't exist anymore. It was done away with at Calvary. And we don't need it anymore. But the priesthood of Melchizedek continues on. How in the world is that possible? It says there of Melchizedek, his name means king of righteousness. And then it says, Melchizedek, king of Salem. Salem is believed to be an ancient name for Jerusalem. And Salem, the word in Hebrew there is a a variation of Shalom, which is the word peace. So he's the king of righteousness And he's the king of peace. Melchizedek is the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Now, first thing I want to say is you'll notice that while it's subtle, that order is very significant. Because without righteousness, there is no peace. Your peace cannot come from you striving, you you having an absence of war is not peace, uh, uh, enough money in the bank or you know, pursuing the things of this world, until there is righteousness, there can be no peace. Another way to think of righteousness is right standing before God. If you're standing right before God, you're going to have peace, amen? And if you're not standing right before God, there's nothing in the world you can do to attain peace. So Melchizedek is the king of righteousness, that's what his name means, and he's the king of peace. Who does that sound like? That's Jesus Christ. The Bible says he's the prince of peace, amen? He indeed is the righteous one. And I love, just as we look at Scripture, that the place that we need to find peace is in him alone. It says in 2 Corinthians, For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Guys, you can be made righteous. You can stand right before Almighty God, not by what you do, but by accepting what He has already done. That's where peace comes from. 
In John 14, Jesus said, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to, give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. If we come to the Lord, we will walk in righteousness and we will know peace. Amen? Because we will know the prince of peace. So Melchizedek is not only the king of righteousness and the king of peace. Look what else it says. He is the priest of the most high God. Now, the Jews that would be hearing this, who he's assuming they've, they know the Old Testament well enough to know who Melchizedek is, would be saying, how can he be a priest of the Most High God? He's not a descendant of Aaron. The Old Covenant said that they had to be a descendant of Aaron to be a priest. Among the Levites, not all Levites were priests, but all priests were indeed Levites. Okay? And so, but he wasn't a Levite, Melchizedek, as we're going to find out as we move on. The Jewish law forbids any, any man to be both king and priest. How can he be king of Salem and be priest? That's impossible according to Jewish law. Now we have seen people try to do that in scripture and it never works out too well. You had a guy named King Uzziah, anybody remember him? He's in 2 Chronicles 26, and he was a good man. It was a man who had been blessed by God, and he'd ushered revival into the people. He'd expanded the borders of Israel. And then after he got caught up in himself, and he said, I'm going into the temple to burn incense to the Lord. Now, while a man could be a prophet and a king, or a prophet and a priest, he couldn't be a king and a priest. The Bible forbid it. The Word forbid it. So, Guess what? He went in, what happened to him? Who knows? He got leprosy. Ten points for Kerry. He got leprosy. He was struck with leprosy. Why? Because he disobeyed God. You know why, guys? There's only one who can be both king and priest. There's only one. And his name is Jesus. And that's why he's better than all the priests in Leviticus. Because those Levitical priests, the Arianic priests, they could not be the king. And the kings like David could not be the priest. Remember King Saul. He tried to be the priest. If you'll remember, he was getting ready for battle. He looked up and the Philistine army was getting bigger and bigger and bigger. But Samuel had told him, before you go into battle, you wait till I come and make sacrifice to the Lord. And he started getting antsy. Because the Philistine army kept getting bigger. Anybody relate to that at all? We, we want God to hurry up and move because the circumstances are getting worse. Come on, God, don't you see what's happening? Yes, he does. Amen? He always knows. And so what happens is, he goes in and takes Samuel's place, and right after that, Samuel comes walking up, and it's at that point that the kingdom is ripped out of Saul's hands. Guys, we are never to take the place of Jesus Christ. We are never to take the place of the one who intercedes on our behalf. We come to the Father through the Son. Amen? And there are no shortcuts. There are no other way. And what will happen if we try to go another way, we'll end up with the leprosy of sin, just like Uzziah. He could not be both king and priest. But we see here that this king of righteousness, this king of peace, this priest of the Most High God. Now, notice, it's important that he be a priest, but a priest of the Most High God. we got a lot of priests walking around in this country, don't we? we got a whole lot of priests in Santa Cruz County. we got a whole lot of gods out there, don't we? And guys, it's irrelevant. People say, well, we should honor a holy man. Well, he's so devoted and dedicated. Guys, we should show them the love of God, but they are lost in desperate need of a Savior. Amen? You know, Jesus is the only way. He's the only hope, as I keep saying. But guys, it's so sad. People will want to honor somebody because they're wearing a robe. Guys, stop already. Let's point him to Jesus. Now do it in love and never be self-righteous, amen? But people, oh, he's such a holy man. No, he's not. He's a sinner in need of a savior. And so too, if we are this priest, if he was just a priest, it would mean nothing. It's who he's a priest of that matters. And this Melchizedek, he is a priest of the most high God. He meets Abraham returning from a slaughter. And he goes out to meet him and when he does, it says there, priest of the Most High God who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and what? He blessed him. He had the ability to pronounce God's blessing upon people. 
Aren't you getting a little intrigued by this Melchizedek guy? He's the king of righteousness. He is the king of peace. He is the, the priest of the most high God. And he has the ability to bless people from God's perspective. Again, there's really little doubt in my mind who this is. And then it says in verse 2, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all. So as it said before, he gives an offering to him. Now you'll notice often in Scripture that when someone will come and, and bring an act, and this may not be necessarily considered an act of worship, but in a sense, if we bring an act of worship, you'll notice if they ever try to worship the angels or they ever try to worship one of the apostles, what do they do? Get up! Don't worship me! Right now, there was offerings brought to the old covenant priest that would provide for their needs. But I believe this is really a picture of worship. And I believe that this that Melchizedek indeed is worthy of worship because I believe Melchizedek is Jesus Christ pre-incarnate. Now, people that I, that I look up to theologically would disagree with me, and that's okay. At the very least, it, he is a type or a picture of Jesus Christ, but we're going to see why I believe this is indeed our Savior as we continue on through the text. So he gave him a tenth part of all. That word there means a, a tenth of either all of his possessions or all that he had just one in the battle he had been in. And he gave the first fruits, the first tenth of it, to this man, Melchizedek. And then it says, first being translated king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace. So he gives tithes to this king of righteousness, this king of peace, this priest of the Most High God, who blesses others, who receives offerings, who is uniquely both king and priest. Again, I believe that's only possible because this is Jesus Christ. And again, Melchizedek at the very least is a type or a picture, but I believe he's far more than that. All these qualities in one man, especially one who was not a Levite, would be a challenge to the old covenant standards they were holding on to and being tempted to go back to. These Jews were being tempted to go back and they're being told, guys, not only are the, Levi, you know, the, the priests who are still holding on to the Old Covenant wrong, guess what? There was one that came even before them who was really the picture of the one we follow today, Jesus Christ, according to the order of Melchizedek. So 12 reasons Jesus is better. Number one, he is both king and priest. And nobody else can say that. Verse 3, we see the second thing. He is without beginning or end. Now, there's another reason why I believe this is the Lord. Look what it says. Without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life. Now, who in the world is that? Now, to me, it's the Lord. Now, some people have said, well, that just means that they didn't have a recorded genealogy of him. That just means they didn't know who his parents were. That's not what I'm reading when I read the Bible. It doesn't say, well, they didn't know who his parents were. It doesn't say, well, they're not really sure what his genealogy was or where he came from. It says, without father, without mother, without genealogy. And again, this is so clearly, to me, our Savior. What I love here is he's taking these Jews who are being tempted to go back to the Old Covenant and he's taking them back to something that came even before the Old Covenant was put in place and showing them that there is a greater answer. There is a greater way. There is a greater hope. And again, we all know that the answer is Jesus Christ. Blesses others, receives offerings, without father, without mother, without genealogy, no beginning of days, nor end of life. You know what? All the other priests died. How did you get a new high priest? The old high priest died. Right? You got to get a new one. You know what's great? Jesus is our high priest forever. We don't ever have to look for anyone else to ever take his place. Amen? He's always going to be our high priest. You know what's interesting? Jesus said this in John 8. And just your pastor's opinion, but I, I found this interesting. Jesus says this, Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. Your father Abraham rejoiced to see my day, and he saw it. Could he be talking about this meeting with Melchizedek? Just your pastor's opinion, it's at least something to think about, right? Yeah. He says, Abraham saw it. When did he see it? Right 
I believe it's right here in this text. Jews said to him, you know, you're only 50 years old. How did you see Abraham? Jesus said, barely, barely, I say unto you, before Abraham was, I am. Amen? And again, Jesus always has been. And to be, Jesus absolutely could have come to earth at this very point. Now notice this too. And it says, no end of life, but made like the what? What does it say? The Son of God. Who's the Son of God? Jesus Christ. Now, some people say, well, that word there means in the facsimile of the Son of God. Man, are you, uh, to me, this is just, you got to really work around this to make this not be Jesus. Well, he kind of, they have a genealogy, but we didn't know what it was. He had a mom, but we didn't know who it was. He had a dad, we didn't know who it was. He's a king and a priest. You're not really supposed to be that, but he was an exception. And he was like the Son of God, but he wasn't the Son of God. I don't, I'm not buying that. I just think it's way easier to say it's the Lord. Amen. Now understand this. This is not the only time you see this verbiage in Scripture. Because in Daniel chapter 3, when they were told when the music plays, everybody bow down to the golden idol. Everybody bow down. And if you do not bow, we will throw you in the fire. And we, there were three young Hebrew boys who did not bow. Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, as their names were changed to. And they would not bow. And King Nebuchadnezzar brings them in. And I can just imagine the, you know, the vein popping out of his throat. You know, who are you? You know, and, you know, I, you know I, and he just curses them by the gods. And, you know, who's the God that will deliver you out of my hands? You're about to find out, Nebuchadnezzar. And he takes them and he binds them up and he throws them into the fire. And Nebuchadnezzar's looking into the fire. And what does he see? He said, did not we throw three and bound? And now they're all walking around. And, and with them is the fourth one in the likeness of the Son of God. Some go, that's an angel. I don't think so. That's Jesus. Amen? It's Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. And you know what's awesome to me? They had to be called out of the fire. I mean, that's amazing. They're in the fire and he says, come out, come out. He said, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hand? Come out, come out, you servants of the Most High God. It's amazing how quick things change for him, right? But you know what's awesome to me? They had to be called out of the fire because it's better to be in the fire with Jesus than out of the fire without him, amen? It's better to be in the midst of the worst trial in the world with the Lord than out of the fire without him. This is the same picture here in the likeness of the Son of God. Abraham recognized him. This is God, may manifest in the flesh. That's why he gave tithes unto him. That's why he gave them the position of authority in his life. And that's why he could bless him, the king of righteousness, the king of peace. Guys, why in the world would you want to go back to the old Levitical, old covenant system when you can know the very same great high priest that Abraham came to know? And that's what he's telling the Jews in that day. And that's what he's telling us today. No one else could have all of these qualities be only similar, made like the Son of God. I believe it's very clear. Again, just your pastor's opinion that this is indeed the Son of the living God. And it says there, notice this, He remains a priest continually. Now who else could do that? How can you remain a priest continually unless you're the Son of God? Because you would die at some point, right? It says he has no end of life. That means if he remains a priest continually, it means he's still a priest today. So if this was just a man who died, he wouldn't still be the priest. Amen? But it's Jesus who continues to be our great high priest. Don't you love the book of Hebrews and how he takes them to the very scriptures that they have studied and know and he brings up this person Melchizedek and brings meaning to who he is and tells him, get your eyes off of that which has passed away and get your eyes on the one who will never pass away. The one who's the fulfillment of everything in the old covenant. The new covenant answer, Jesus Christ. He remains a priest. And Jesus' priesthood continues today and will for all eternity. Where's Jesus right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father. And what's he doing? He's praying for you. Have you ever thought about that? Next time you're tempted, remember that Jesus is praying for you. That's pretty powerful, isn't it? He's interceding on your behalf with the Father. So 12 reasons that Jesus is better than the, the Levitical priest or the Old Covenant priest. Number one, he's both king and priest. Number two, he is without beginning or end. You could not say that about any other priest that's ever lived because they all died. 
Verse 4. Next thing we'll see is he had the ability to bless. Look what it says. Now consider how great this man was. Now, the word great there, that's not thrown around a lot in Scripture. Jesus did say, of men born among women, there's none greater than John the Baptist. Jesus said that. So there are times when that word can be used of a man. But ultimately, there's really only one who is great. Amen? Because John the Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. John the Baptist, who Jesus said was the greatest man who ever lived, said there's got to be less of me and more of him. That means the greatest guy who ever lived had to die to himself. Where does that leave us? Amen? Are we napping in here this morning? What's going on? I mean, we need, we we desperately need the Lord, don't we? If the greatest man who ever lived had to decrease, had to die to his flesh, so do we. And it says there, consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of his spoils. Remember, he's speaking to the Jews. Even Father Abraham gave offerings unto Melchizedek. He's letting them know there's something greater than the priesthood that they wanted to return to, than the covenant that they were being tempted to go back to. There was one who blessed Abraham, who received tithes from him. And the Levites did receive tithes as a commandment. But notice this, Abraham gave tithes when there was no commandment. What do you think blesses God more? When someone obeys because they've been commanded to obey, or when someone does it out of love for God? I mean, don't, doesn't it bless you a lot more when your kids, and maybe it's never happened, but when your kids just, just do something right when nobody says anything, as opposed to having to tell them 47 times and threaten them with, you know, great bodily harm, then they finally do it. I mean, it's so much better just when somebody out of love does the godly thing. And Abraham, there was no commandment to give. He gave, I believe, as an act of worship unto the Lord. And that is so much greater than just trying to obey a bunch of rules. Notice too, he says there, even the patriarch gave him a tenth. And indeed, verse 5, those who are of the sons of Levi who received the priesthood have a commandment to receive tithes from the people. That is from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he whose genealogy is not derived from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that, look, while they had commands to be given the tithes, here's this free will offering between Abraham and Melchizedek and what a picture of what our relationship ought to be like with the Lord. It's a relationship based on grace and love and mercy, not law. Amen? What they were being tempted to go back to was the legalism of Judaism. Keeping all the laws to maybe earn God's favor and as opposed to just entering into God's grace and having a love relationship with Him. Guys, I'm so glad that I don't walk around with, you know, 562 rules to keep. Just love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Amen? Just love Him. And you know what? Love Him and do what you want because when you love Him, you'll want to do what He wants. Amen? If you are passionately in love with Him, He won't need 800 rules written down. There'll be things you'll do that aren't written down anywhere as the Holy Spirit moves upon your heart. Abraham, the fathers of the Jews, tithed unto Melchizedek, the inferior tithing to the superior. Abraham recognized that Melchizedek was greater than him. And he did it willingly, not out of compulsion. Look what it says in verse 7. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. Well, we know Jesus is better, so that must be Jesus. Amen? It says the lesser is blessed by the better. And who's the one that's been blessing? Melchizedek. And again, I believe Jesus Christ incarnate. Abraham recognized and submitted to Melchizedek's authority. The result was submission and the response was blessing. Guys, when we submit our lives to Jesus Christ, He will bless us. When we're obedient, God is glorified and we get blessed. Guys, I'm not talking about stuff necessarily. What I'm talking about is a life that is filled with meaning and joy and purpose that will impact eternity. That's what happens when we walk in obedience to the Lord. He's saying Abraham recognized 
Melchizedek's authority. And what he's saying to these Jews, you need to recognize Jesus' authority. Don't go back to the shadow when you have the one who is the fulfillment. Don't go back to legalism when you've tasted of God's grace. But sadly, it hasn't gone away with the first century Jewish Christians. It still continues today. Twelve reasons Jesus is better. He is both king and priest. He is without beginning or end. And He is the source of blessing. Verses 8-10, through 10, He receives tithes. It says what it says. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there He receives them. Mortal men receive tithes. Men who will one day die and be replaced. There are those who give their gifts to those who will die and be replaced. But he says there, when he says there, he's speaking in the order of Melchizedek, he receives tithes. But you know what, guys? When you give to the Lord, it will outlast your life. If you give to the things of this world, it will pass away with you or before you. Amen? You know what? All it is is piles of dirt that we're piling up that will not matter in eternity. I got a bigger pile of dirt than you. And so often we think that's success, don't we? I got gold dirt. Who cares? And so often we're shoveling dirt thinking we're making an impact. Now again, the Bible says we're to work. The Bible says to men that we're to sweat, toil by the, you know, the sweat of our brow to provide for our families. God's called us to do that. A man who does not work shall not eat. But guys, our work is not our passion. Jesus Christ is. And guys, what we do for Him and for His kingdom will outlast this life. Let's give to the one who lives, not to those who are passing away. Amen? And the whole point he's making here is, guys, you're wanting to go back to that which has passed away. You want to go back to a system that has been fulfilled by Christ and is now contrary to the will of God when you can walk in the fullness of joy in knowing Him right now. Guys, may we not be tempted to go back to legalism when we can have a relationship with the true and living God. Who are you giving your gifts to? Who are you giving your support? Is it dead men or the living Savior? These Jewish Christians were considering leaving the living Savior to follow after dead men. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there He he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that He lives. Guys, we serve a risen and living Savior. Amen? And we can't say that enough. All the other gods are dead. You've heard me say this before, so you can hear it again. Buddha, dead. Hare Krishna, dead. Joseph Smith, the Mormon church, dead. Charles Taze Russell, Jehovah's Witnesses, dead. Mary Baker Eddy, Church of Religious Science, dead. Jesus Christ, risen and living Savior, triumphed over sin and death. Amen? Amen. That's the God we serve. And Muhammad, bowing to Jesus. Buddha, bowing to Jesus. He alone is God. And people are so attracted by people who are dead in their trespasses and sins. He's exhorting them, guys, you have the words of eternal life. You have the one who will bring you fullness of joy. Why would you go back to legalism? That's the exhortation in chapter 7, and it's exhortation for every one of us this morning. Verse 9, even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak, For he is still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Here's what he's saying. Hey guys, the Levites paid tithes to Melchizedek through Abraham, their father. That's what he's telling them. He's telling them, even the Levites that you want to go back to, those Old Testament, Old Covenant priests that you want to elevate, they were honoring Melchizedek through Abraham. They were honoring Jesus through Abraham. And you want to go back to that old system even levi paid tithes even the levites even aaron they paid tithes through their father abraham last point 12 reasons jesus is better than the levitical priest last one the levitical priesthood is only temporary look at verse 11 therefore if perfection were through the levitical priesthood for under it the people received the law What further need was there for another priesthood should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? Here's what he's saying. Hey guys, if the old covenant priesthood could get it all done, why did God create another priesthood altogether? If that was sufficient 
If we could find salvation in it, if it was the answer, then why did Jesus have to come? Why was this this order of Melchizedek, again, which I believe is a picture of our Savior? Why? Because it was not sufficient. It pointed to the one who was sufficient, but in and of itself it's not sufficient. Guys, religion will not save you. It doesn't matter how religious you are. It doesn't matter how often you go to church. Again, those can be good things. But religion, I love the word, what it really means. It means, relingara means to relink. Relinking sinful man back to holy God. That's a great thing. Here's the problem. Religion has come to mean a bunch of dead, vain rituals with no relationship. And God help us that we not be religious, but that we have a relationship with the Lord. Amen? And he's telling them if religion could be the answer, if keeping the old covenant was good enough, if you could just do that apart from the one who it all points to, Jesus Christ, then why did he have to come? Why did there need to be yet another priesthood? Verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there's also a change of the law. Guys, if the priesthood changes, that means the laws that go along with the priesthood must change. Because the the priesthood under Aaron, the Levitical priesthood, that priesthood was lined up with the law of Moses. Guys, are we still under the law? What's the answer? No, we're not. We're not dragging lambs in here and making sacrifice, are we? We're not doing those things anymore. Again, wonderful pictures of Jesus Christ. But we missed it if we're looking at the picture and we missed the Messiah. And so he's telling them that there is a change in the law because there was a change in the priesthood. No longer does the law of Moses, is that God's command and call to draw us unto himself, Now there's a new high priest, not one of the tribe of Levi, animals no longer being sacrificed, but Jesus Christ died once and for all, and atonement cannot be found in anything other than the cross of Calvary. And so everything has changed because Jesus came. Last two verses. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. You know what he says? This, our Messiah is from the tribe of Judah. The old covenant, they were from the tribe of Levi. He's not even of the same tribe. But you know what? He's the lion of the tribe of Judah that was prophesied throughout the Old Testament. And he's always been the answer. And he's always been the one that everything was pointing to. And you know what? When Jesus came, everything changed. If you'll remember... The, Levit, the, the Arianic priest or the priest of the Levites, he could only go in, the high priest, to the Holy of Holies one time a year on the Day of Atonement. And he would go in, no one else could go in. They would tie a rope around him in case he died in there so they could drag him out because nobody else was allowed in there. But you know what happened when Jesus died on the cross? The veil was torn from top to bottom and you and I can enter into the presence of Almighty God anywhere and anytime. Amen? Amen? Why? Because... There no longer is an earthly high priest. We have a great high priest in Jesus Christ who is seated at the right hand of the Father who allows us to enter into, the pres- into His presence anywhere and anytime. Aren't you glad? We are the most blessed of all people. Did you know that? We have the completed revelation in our hand. We have so much access to the truth of, of the Word of God and Christian radio and everything else under the sun. But you know what? I believe that also makes us the most accountable of all people who've ever lived. Amen? That we take all that God has given to us and we use it for His glory. Last verse. For it is evident that our Lord arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses spoke nothing concerning priesthood. Guys, there's more to the word than the law of Moses. Amen? There's more. Now, the law of Moses. Good. What does it do today? It's, the Bible says it is a taskmaster or a schoolmaster that leads us to the cross. You hold up the law, it's like a mirror, and when you hold it up, you realize you're a sinner in desperate need of a Savior. Apart from the law, you would see no sin and need for a Savior, amen? Law, good. Law can't save you. Just like if you saw a blemish in a mirror, you wouldn't take the mirror off the wall and rub your face with it, amen? It wouldn't do you any good. Just make you a bigger mess. And the same is true. The law reveals our sin, but it cannot save you. The law reveals it so you will turn to the Savior. And that's the whole point of the text we're looking at this morning. 
Jesus is our great high priest. He's better than the Levitical priest. He's better than, you know, Aaron. He's better than any priest that's come before him because salvation is not based on the law or temples or animal sacrifices or feasts or rituals, but a relationship with the one and only God who can give us redemption. So, the five points we looked at this morning and then we're going to have communion, appropriately enough. We'll look at the rest of the reasons next week. The first five Reasons why Jesus is better than the Levitical priest. Number one, he's both king and priest. He alone is both king and priest. Number two, he is without beginning or end. Can we say that about anyone else? He always has been. He's the Alpha and the Omega. Amen? That's our Savior. He is the one who blesses us. Every good and perfect gift comes from above. Amen? He blesses us. He receives our offering. Guys, we need to come before him and... I love the analogy that I heard one time where the plate was going by. It wasn't here because we don't do that. But the plate was going by and a young man said, I wanted to put myself in the plate. You know, Lord, I give you me. Amen? And that's, that's what we should say. Lord, just take me. Take my life. Let me serve you completely with my whole heart. And lastly, the priesthood of this world was temporary because it was all pointing to the one who would come who will be priest forever amen guys let's not get caught up in religion let's not be drawn back into the old ways but let's get our eyes on jesus christ pursue him passionately and know that he alone is the one that can give us life amen let's pray heavenly father we thank you for your word and lord i pray as we go to this time of lord's supper of communion lord that we would take this time to look back and remember the cross of Calvary. As you said in the upper room that day, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. Lord, this should not be a ritual. Help the Lord not to be a ritual for any of us. But Lord, may it be a time of contemplating our relationship with you. Father, I pray also, not only we look back to the cross, we look within and examine our own hearts before you. Lord, if there be any wicked way in us, if there's anything we need to confess, Lord, may this be a time of brokenness and confession before you as we contemplate the grace of the cross of Calvary. And then, Lord, I pray also, not only would we look back to the cross and look within and examine our own hearts, we will look forward to one day when we will have this supper with you in heaven. Lord, we can't wait. Lord, I just pray that during this time, Lord, that we would... Spend intimate time with you. Lord, examine our hearts. May you be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. All right, here's what we do at Calvary Chapel. We're just going to have the elements available. Uh, we don't have church membership. If you are a Christian, this is for you. The Bible says if you're not a Christian, this is not for you. But here's the good news. If you're not a Christian, the Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. And so if you want to give your life to the Lord, you can stop up and talk to one of the pastors and give your life to Him right now, and then you can take communion. Amen? But what I would like you to do is just come on up, grab the elements, go back and sit down, and just spend some time with the Lord. The bread, again, represents His body broken for us. The juice is a representation of the blood that was shed upon Calvary. And as we do this, let's do this in remembrance of Him. Amen?